Welcome to the See Me Now podcast. I'm your host, Kelsey Coleman, here with a special co-host, David Ludlum. And we are joined today by Colorado Mesa University instructor of music and of music theory, Jason Pegas. Welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. So you grew up in the suburbs of Chicago and then moved to Seattle when you were 11. And both of your parents uh, were professional musicians. So you grew up in a very musical household. I did. Yeah, my I had my dad playing in the Chicago Symphony. He was a cellist. And my mom is a violist and at that time was subbing in Chicago and also playing in Milwaukee Symphony. So I was definitely hearing a lot of string playing while I was a kid. But Jason, as I understand it, your first passion or your first pursuit wasn't necessarily music. You also had uh, a flair for the sciences. Tell us about that. 100%. Um, so I actually got a bit of a late start in music because my parents were actually both forced into practicing and playing an instrument by their parents. So with my brother and I, we, they were very relaxed about having us pursue music and pretty laissez-faire about the whole thing. Um, so I didn't start playing cello until a little later on. And while I was in high school, I was thinking about going down the environmental science path or maybe veterinarian studies or something similar to that. And you received your doctorate of musical arts. Talk about, you know, you are listening to music, well, great music in your household. And then you kind of figure, okay, I'm going to go down the science path. And then all of a sudden you're thinking, you know what, music is actually my passion. I love it. You know, just as much as science, if not more, um, I'm going to make it a, a big part of my life. Absolutely. Part of it was just Coming to college, I went to a small liberal arts school in Oregon called Willamette University, and I knew I wanted to do either science or music, so I was doing both and trying to figure out how to balance which degree with what program I want to do. And so I, I was in classes for both. I was doing both actively, and I remember at one point I was sitting in a, I was sitting in a science lab working on a, a behavioral squirrel research project doing a graph, and I was just thinking, I don't know if I want to do this. I would much rather be playing with a string quartet or, or having fun uh, rehearsing. So I was, I, I think in that moment, I was, that's where I really had the epiphany of, I should just go all in on music and see what happens. So I still tried to pursue the environmental science minor, but I ended up just committing to a music major and treating the whole music majoring process as an experiment to see if I could really do it. Well, People might think that on the face of it, science and music are mutually exclusive, completely different disciplines. But we know from birds and rhythmic things that we extracted the music from nature. Do you think mm -hmm. there's a connection between science and music that people don't maybe think about? Oh, for sure. I mean, music is just organized sound. And there, even the physics of sound, If you, that's a whole topic you can study and write a dissertation on. Um, a lot of even in my teaching is talking about the physics of sound and how to understand that to make a good sound and also not hurt yourself while trying to achieve that. Um, that's actually a big part of playing a string instrument is learning the physics of the instrument and how, how to get around it and how to get the most out of it. Um, there's also a lot of, I've noticed a lot of people in medicine are very good at an instrument or even majored in, in music at, at some point and also math. I know at least two professional musicians that have as well professional credentials in math. So there's definitely a connection there. I think the math nerds really love the the theory aspect of music. 
Kelsey, I like that phrase, the physics of instruments. We'll have to remember that one. Yeah. And, I, you know, I'm thinking sometimes people could argue, oh, I'm right brain or I'm left brain. Um, but it sounds like you and a, and a lot of people who are musicians are actually constantly pulling from both of those. And it is this kind of dance, if you will. I think so. And I think that's what makes it so satisfying to pursue is it challenges all, it challenges all of your weaknesses. So for me, I, I really love... And I was stronger at the creative side of it, of phrasing and making something musical and interesting. But I always, like in math, I always struggled with any subject we were working on. I never took advanced math, never even took calculus. I kind of swindled my way out of that. Um, but I would, even in pre-calc, I struggled quite a bit. Whereas I was taking an AP environmental science in high school, always AP or honors English. I loved the the more creative side of, of things, so... For me, I think it was satisfying to harness that creativity and also work on fundamental skills like rhythm and harmony theory, etc. Because it's certainly not easy, but it's really cool once you understand it. What do you think about diving into a kind of a controversial topic? Uh, please. <laughs> okay. So Schopenhauer and Nietzsche and Henry David Thoreau, they all kind of believed in a different way that music was maybe the highest form of art mm. because of its complexity and its lay patterns. Mm. What's your opinion about that as a musician? Ooh, I, oh man, <laughs> that's a great, I mean, I would not put music above any other type of art necessarily. There are composers that have tried to link music to a, a sense of total art. For example, uh, Wagner was really known for, um, what he called Gesamtskunwerk, which is total total artwork, basically. So he was one of the first composers to link music, theatrics, um, visuals, everything kind of in one with his huge operas that he wrote. Um, so maybe a better way wouldn't be that one's better than the other, but you could make the argument that music might be a more complete form in the way you described it. I think it, it, it can be used like that, too. Um, any type of art form can be incredibly powerful, but when you combine them, I think that's when you get really extra, like think about a movie and a film score and why the film is so compelling. Often it's from the music itself. Like no horror film would work without music. I love that you just went there because anytime I'm watching a film or a TV show, it really is the scoring that makes all the difference. You know, I start feeling a certain way before anything happens. And I'm like, why am I sweating and anxious? Nothing is, nothing is going on. There's just someone walking down a hallway, you know, and it's not, you don't have that fear aspect yet. Oh, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's a whole industry. Um, I was lucky enough that while I was in LA uh, working on my doctorate and freelancing, I got to do some recording sessions um, for a variety, some for... Uh, I did one for Warner Brothers. I did one for a pretty well-known R&B artist. Um, really anything you could throw at me, it was always fun to, to do just because you're on the other side of the production where normally you're just consuming this and you don't really think about it. But when you're part of the process of making the scores for something, you actually see how much effort goes into it and how much detail there is to kind of fine tune it. Well, I know we're going to talk about the cello, but I had one more question for you about about the com combination of art. And Kelsey talked about horror movies, but uh, it was recently uh, somebody had on the Last of the Mohicans. Oh, okay. And that the scene where they're about to jump off the water, mm. the that that very famous kind of score. 
Yeah, I, I had that realization that moment how powerful music is and bringing that. Oh. Like, what is it about the uh, the what is it about a musical score in a in a in a epic film like that that like maybe from a scientific standpoint affects people? So sure, deeply? I think part of it is in in terms of scoring. If you want something big and powerful and epic, you just add more and more musicians to the score. So a lot of those films, um, John Williams, anything by John Williams is known for having a huge orchestra. Um, Certain films will also use uh, perhaps more intimate or internal character issues could be scored for, I don't know, solo flute or solo cello. Um, so there's a little more sense of individuality with that. But if you have a very intense, large scene happening, almost always you're going to get a larger, uh, a larger band or larger orchestra behind it, making it more powerful and People think all the time about just what pieces and what affect they want. Um, one example that's that I think is interesting is um, for the for the show Wednesday on Netflix that just came out. Um, I was I actually had the the fun opportunity of working with Jenna Ortega for this was summer of 2021. Um, I gave her about 12 cello lessons because the the studio contacted Angelus Academy of Music, which is the school I was teaching at, and was like, hey, we have an actor that needs some intro cello lessons before she goes to Romania on set. Um, so I have I have the cool honor of having given Jenna Ortega her first cello lessons, which in hindsight now, because she's blown up, I think is uh, kind of wild, because I didn't know who she was at the time, but um, she's a lovely human being, and it was really fun working with her. But I bring it up because... Um, the the production company was really thinking hard about what piece they wanted her to play to match that kind of dark, eclectic character she plays. So in the end, they went with things like uh, the beginning of the Elgar Cello Concerto, which is a well-known classical work and known for being very intense, kind of melodrama, and as well as uh, Painted Black by the Rolling Stones, which is another kind of darker piece to show off her angst of a character. But we were waiting for a while to find what piece they were going to want her to play because part of my job was preparing her to know how to play cello at a beginner level and also know how to fake some of these advanced techniques that they were likely going to require for her. What a fun experience. I mean, you think, okay, I'm going to, you know, play the cello and you maybe kind of can find a, a pathway that you think is going to happen for you. But then, yeah, one day you're, you're there just teaching a, a famous star to play in a, in a Netflix just, series. I, it was really just, I happened to be in the right place at the right time. Um, and yeah, it was especially, it was very surreal when it came out and then seeing her act and play cello in there, I was like, wow, this is super cool. She's doing a great job. And then later, I think two weeks ago or three weeks ago, she actually hosted on SNL. And I was like, that's bizarre. That's my cello student. But yeah, it was. I think LA is cool in that if you're a musician in LA for long enough, you will just inevitably run into cool opportunities like that. Well, I know you had um, some struggles in LA during the pandemic. And of course, like you know, most people and I think probably all artists really struggle to, to perform and find their place. As an artist, I'm sure there are a lot of, you know, challenges that you have to overcome when you are performing and trying to find a stable career and work your way up. Can you kind of talk about that? Oh, boy, can I? Um, Yeah. So actually right before, so I graduated with my degree 
Um, there's still not a lot of freelancing happening in LA. It's very sparse. Um, and at this point, I'm thinking, okay, I need to get some stability. I need to get a job as soon as I can because the freelancing is not as sustainable. You never know what you're going to be doing week to week. So you might have a really cool thing one week and then no work for three weeks besides maybe private teaching. Um, so I, and I, I think the pandemic really made me crave routine. So I was looking for a stable position either at a, at a university or in an orchestra. Um, so I was really trying to just get onto some kind of routine as much as I could. And then one, one of the many curveballs that was thrown at me at this time was actually my father passing away. Um, and that happened about three months before I accepted the position here. So at, actually at the time when I was in the final round for the CMU position, it was about a month and a half after my father passed. And I was not, I was not in a good place. Um, but I think latching onto certain goals, like the finals for, for this position, really helped me to push through and kind of get grounded in, in myself and almost just have a distraction, but a healthy distraction where I could be like, okay, this is a good thing for me. I'm going to go and do it and just have fun and see what happens. Um, and I'm glad I, I did that because had I canceled, it, it would have made sense, but also I would not have been given this opportunity. Jason, do you mind if I ask you a question about your father's Please. passing? What role did music play in your healing from that, Ooh. the grief of that? Well, it's, it's huge because uh, not only was my, my dad a cellist um, and a very prominent cellist, but also I actually chose the cello because of him. Um, when my parents got divorced and my brother and I moved with my mom to Seattle, uh, in fifth grade, I started an instrument because I was in public schools where you basically had to choose an instrument in fifth grade. And I narrowed it to flute and cello. <laughs> Oddly enough, I didn't choose viola, even though my mom plays viola, which is kind of a viola joke in itself. But um, the part, And the big reason I chose cello was because, A, I liked the sound of it, and I always heard the sound growing up. And B, it was a way for me to kind of get closer to my dad, which I wasn't, who I wasn't seeing as much um, after the divorce. So I, it was, I mean, it's huge and it's always hard to know how to react and handle something like that. Um, but luckily, even though I started cello more for my dad, I kept up with cello and got deeper into it for myself and I really found out how to make playing a thing that I wanted to do for me and just how to personally connect with it. And it just, it, even practicing cello is kind of a meditation in itself, like practicing any instrument it requires a lot of focus, a lot of mindfulness. You're just alone with your instrument. Um, so it, it really helps with any type of healing. Um, it, it'll, when you're playing music, you're actually activating parts of your brain that, uh, can be activated even if you're an 85 year old person suffering from Alzheimer's. So I've seen, I've seen videos of people that can hardly speak and are in very poor health, but you put them in front of a piano and suddenly they're playing like they were 30 years old again. So I think the healing parts of music are, are really evident. And that's why there are careers that specialize in, in things like music therapy specifically. Do you think the 
best artists and you know best musicians really do pull from those hardships and that's what makes them so great is they they really dive deep into themselves and and find the horror and the pain Mm. and the tragedy and you know people can relate to that i think often because uh, all of us experience hardship and tragedy in our lives and i think that's the universal condition i don't think to be a great artist you have to greatly suffer i think that's not a, a healthy mindset you don't have to make poor life decisions or just ex- wait for bad things to happen to suddenly start playing well. Like it, it doesn't work like that, but I do think it can give you a deep internal motivation. Um, uh, one example is uh, after my dad died, my stepmom sent me and it's continuing to send me a ton of his music. And there's a lot of cello pieces that, especially since I started later on in life, I just haven't learned yet, but I have his pieces and his bowings and fingerings so I'm almost able to learn these pieces through like an embodiment sense of, oh, this is what my dad physically did to to make this happen. And it's a really, it, it's almost a little eerie, um, but it's really fun because certain things I'll be like, oh, that's a really cool idea, dad. And I'll see his like writings from um, either when he was like 40 or, or also I have some when he was like 20 years old. Um, so it's kind of cool to see like the evolution of that. But some of them, I'm like, Dad, like, I don't understand what you did here. Like, how do you make this work? And there are all these lingering questions where I'm like, man, I wish I could just sit down with you and play this for you. Because especially starting late and also with the divorce, um, just separating me from my dad a little bit more. I like I would love to be able to have the chance to sit down and play duos with him again. I think that'd be really nice, especially being a professional now. Um, so it's 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 a mixed bag of emotions, like with any grief, like there's there's some really cool parts of it that are I think really special and meaningful. And there's also parts to it where I'm like, man, this really sucks. (laughs) And I think that's just the universal experience with bittersweet sentiments with, with a loss like that. But I'm very thankful that I have all of his music and I can look through it and I'm, I'm going to have that for the rest of my life. So I think, uh, yeah, it's a really cool experiment that I'm just kind of now getting thrown into of how do I hand like I was even one example and I know this is a little bit of a tangent but I was playing the Ravel violin cello duo recently with a fantastic uh, violin colleague here um, Professor Brian Crinky and I asked my stepmom if she had his part and luckily he did I have no idea when he played it because he never mentioned it but I have this really nicely made part that he like copy and pasted together and all of his fingerings and bowings are things that are very clearly marked, but sometimes I won't want to do one of them, and I feel guilty about erasing it. So I'm like, can I erase this? Should I? Should I maybe like rewrite it? And and then I'm like, this is such a a weird battle in my head that I'm having to deal with because, uh, like, I think he'd be fine with it, but also like, does it matter? I I don't know. So it's it's something I'm currently navigating, and I think is kind of morbidly comical to deal with. Yeah. Do you, uh, do you have his cello? I don't. So uh, it, there's so much complicated, but, um, I, well, what I do have is what uh, both of his really nice bows I do have. One of them he gave me a few years ago before he passed, but the other really nice one, um, which is actually the one that I played on to get into grad schools. Um, my stepmom was able to give me that one, which I thought is really nice. Um, I actually, I bought a brand new cello which is the first cello that I really own um, right before moving here. And I'm just in love with the thing. Like it's, 
your cello is your voice. And when I thought about trying to finagle and acquire my, my dad's cello, um, which uh, towards the end of his life, my stepmom and my, my dad weren't in the greatest financial position. Um, so even towards the end of his life, he, he was thinking about selling the cello. Um, but it's, it's expensive enough that the insurance would be quite high. And I would be so afraid of just bringing it anywhere. And it would, it would make me so anxious. Um, so I've played on it a ton. I played on it for his funeral. I played on it for a summer cello festival that I was at. Um, but I'm really glad that I have my own cello and my own voice. And I still have some sentimental, impactful things, which are his bows, which actually are, I think are 70% of playing. Um, so don't have the cello, but I have the bows and I'm very grateful for that. Well, Dr. Jason Pegas, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. And thanks for telling your story. Yeah. Thank you. So, thank you both so much. This was great and a uh, pleasure to be here. Thanks for, thank you for sharing, for sharing your story. As Kelsey said, it's, uh, it's, it's really wonderful. I'm sure it really has a, a positive impact for your students too. that, that emotional vulnerability that you have with your music. I was wondering, uh, along with a podcast to perhaps maybe you'd want to play uh, one of your father's favorite songs that we could share uh, when we put the podcast out for everybody to enjoy. Sure, I think that's a great idea. I'd be I'd be happy to.
Thank you for listening to the See Me Now podcast. You can find us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.